Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 164. Albert, shall we go on a hike and pick some nice blueberries? Mmm, blueberries. Do marmots eat blueberries? They... I do not know what marmots eat, honestly. I guess they... Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? Sure, sure, sure. Without any knowledge or expertise. Yeah, sure, I'm sure they eat blueberries. (laughs) Why wouldn't they eat blueberries? Who doesn't like blueberries? Exactly. Well, anyway, what are marmots? I don't know. They're an animal of some sort. They're very, very (laughs) tiny. Or at the very least, the picture of them is very, very tiny. Oh, I assume they're big as a hedgehog or something like that. Or a groundhog. I don't know. Maybe they're a groundhog. Oh, well, I don't know. So anyway, folks, I don't know if you figured it out. We're talking about a game called Spring Metal today. That's right. How are you doing, Julius? Welcome back, by the way. I am doing well. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Uh, we did go blueberry picking today, as you hinted at. So, so that was a lot of fun. We got two big baskets of blueberries and then some. <laughs> it was unfortunately super hot, but sorry. That's okay. <laughs> well, that, that's part of the territory, I guess. I'm sure you'll make it. I hope so. So, so today we're talking about a game called Sprig Meadow by Uwe Rosenberg. This game came out last year. It is the third game in his. Uh, Puzzle Trilogy. It's called the Puzzle Trilogy. I'm not sure that's a real name that somebody gave it. I think that's sort of a... It just stuck because nobody could think of a better name for it. Sort of thing. Um, and these are three games that are about laying polyonimals, polyominals onto boards or, or whatever. Um, sort of like, I guess, Feast for Odin. I think that was a polyominal game, wasn't it? It was. Okay. Similar, but without most of the mechanics of uh, Feast for Odin. This is it's a pretty light game. Well, I mean, Polyomino is a large number of games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's a, any game that has a piece with that shape is a is in that category. <laughs> like most things, can be a huge gamut of games. So yeah, so this is the third in the series, right? The first one is called Cottage Garden. Then came uh, Indian Summer, and now the third one is Spring Meadow. Um, at some point, we should cover all of them. I think. They're all I've well, I've only played Cottage Garden once. It was at the game store during lunch. You know, it was fun. I remember being pretty darn light. Um, I've played the Indian Summer a couple times. That one was heavier, a lot more rules and things. Not tons, but more rules to keep track of that sort of thing. More strategy. So this one is somewhere in the middle of those two. So it's a good, uh, good indicator, I guess. Sensible. Mm-hmm. So. So cottage, not cottage garden. I keep confusing these games. Spring, Spring Meadow. Meadow. Thank you. It's almost confusing because he put them all in one series, and they are all kind of similarly named. Yeah, they're all similar. The, the, their theme is the outdoors and the hot summer times. I guess sort of. This one's actually not the hot time. This is the cold time of the year. It's early spring. Um, you're up in a mountain glade and you're hiking, and there's still snow on the snow on the ground. But as you walk and lay those polyonimals in front of you, the snow will melt for you. Sort of clearing a path. So your walking causes the snow to melt. Yes, that is the theme of the game. I think you're a god in this game. <laughs> yes. So it is related to Feast for Odin, right? You're, there you go. The theme of the game is you bring spring every year by walking through the fields. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I don't think that's what they're actually going for, but in all reality, that's kind of what it is. That's, that's what it feels like when I play it. You know, it doesn't... That, you know, the theme is light. We'll get into that. <laughs> so so that's what this game is about. It is about laying tiles in the spring. The board starts. It's a nice white board. 
with a little bit of green at one edge and you start laying your polyanimals at that edge and as they expand and you cover the board with them, the ground starts turning green because the polyanimals are all grass and rocks and little things like that. That's, that's, that's the theme of the game. That's what it's all about. Um, the rules of the game, they're, they're pretty short, pretty simple. I think it's eight pages. There's not a lot to them. You know, there's enough examples. They're pretty clear, so it's not hard to model up this game. Um, the one thing I don't like is the solo rules are at the end, you know, say, now that you know how to play the regular game, here's how you got to change it to play solo. You know, not my favorite way to learn a, a solo game. But the rules are light enough that it works. Though I will tell you, the first time I played it was with my son. I said, hey, let's play a two-player game just, just to learn the two-player rules first, just to make it easier. Because oh, it was late. He didn't want to go to bed, but it was bedtime. I was about to learn how to play the game first. Mm-hmm. And so he played it. He, the poor guy was so tired. Oh my gosh, he, he had such a terrible game. He just wasn't thinking clearly. It's, it's one of the few times I've beat him at a game. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get him when he's tired more often. Wake him up early every morning. Hey, hey, it's time to play a game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so rules, you know, they're, they're pretty they're pretty good. They're clear. Again, they're simple. Um, there's not a whole lot to say about that. I like the look of the book. The the front cover of the rule book, it looks like a picnic uh, blanket. Like a, a white and red checkers. Sure, you could imagine. So, so again, it's all thematic. the The theme, so so as you can tell from the conversation, the theme is pretty light. Um, it's there; all the components match the theme and whatnot, but it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the actual gameplay, unless it really is a game about being the the God of Spring. Um, but you know, it works. It, it ties the game together. I like the art on it. You know, we talked about art last week. I like the the look of it. I like uh, the box cover has an apple and the uh, the components. For example, the, the board that you first lay all the tiles on when you start to play, you'll be drawing them from there, is a map, and it's a it's a contour line map. So you see all the lines showing you the altitude or the height of all the hills and all that. And I, I like that look. So that's what it looks like. So it brings that board, right? The game brings up 90-something polyonimals, about 100. I think it's 100 um, polyonimals. Of course. Is it, it might be. I thought I would read 90s too, but I'm not sure. But it it makes sense to be 100 because in the campaign game, you end up playing four times with 25 tiles each time. Though you don't necessarily always draw them every time, so maybe, maybe you reuse them. Anyway, that's not that important. Not for this conversation. They're all different shapes. None, no shape repeats. Uh, so they range in size, I think, from four to probably about six or seven squares for the biggest ones. Maybe eight even. No, I don't think there's any eight ones. Maybe not. Maybe it's six or seven. I was already questioning your claim of having a seven size one. I can't remember any, but I'm sure there's not an eight. <laughs> um, one, two, three, four, five, six. Maybe six is the biggest. Two, four. Yes, I see sixes, but I don't see sevens. Okay. It's anyway. It's enough that you don't have to repeat the shape. They, they're there's a bunch of them, and many of them, most of them, might say have a hole on it. In one of the squares of the polyomino, those holes are used to to free the marmosets. Um, marmots. What's that? Marmots, not marmosets. Marmots, marmots. not marmosets. I don't know what a marmoset is. I, I bet you they're related. Maybe it's that type of animals. Anyway, <laughs> this is the wrong podcast for that. But we could look it up in the after show. The um, what else you get in this game? You get a couple four-player boards because it's a one-to-four-player game. They're double-sided. 
one of them you set it up horizontally, there you set up vertically. Though honestly, there is no real difference in the two other than the way the some of the flavor text is on it. You could set them up vertically or horizontally, whichever side you use, and it would make absolutely no difference to the play. Um, what it does give you is slightly different boards in that where the marmot holes are are different on each board. That's the only difference. So the I'm sorry, and I'm jumping back and forth here, aren't I? The uh, the polyominoes have those holes. When you're placing them on the board, you need to leave the marmot holes uncovered by placing the hole of the polyomino over that marmot hole on the board. Um, and when you do that, you get to put this cute little round marmot token over the hole, showing that you that it was there. They're, they're useful because later on, if you can't leave a hole uncovered and you need to place a, a piece such that it's going to cover a hole, you could take one of those marmots off the board and, and then you're allowed to cover the hole, the other hole. Um, and so there's some strategy involved in those. And there's a couple other things. There's a 3D little signpost that you get to move around the board as you play. And it's just used to mark the turns. I like that one. It's like, it's cute. You you know, it's two pieces of cardboard that you slot together so it can stand up. And the box is big enough that if you glue it together like I did, it'll all fit in the box and that's fine. You don't have to take it apart every time you're going to put the game away, which I, I do appreciate. Did you feel you needed to glue it together for it to stay together? Um, Yes. If I remember correctly, it was a little bit loose. And when I would pick it up, it would just, the two pieces would fall apart. So the gameplay, uh, it's pretty simple, honestly. But I do like this. You're going to lay out 25 pieces on the board in a 5x5 five five grid. And you're going to set the signpost up at one of the corners. Um, each turn, the signpost is marking a column, a row, or a diagonal. So that, so that you could go all around the whole board uh, 24 times. Or 20, yeah, I think so. The Actually, 20 times. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 15, 20, 24 times total. So anyway... Um, each turn, you could take one tile from that column row or diagonal that is being marked by the signpost and place it on your board, starting along the bottom edge. Um, and then you're going to move the signpost over to the next column, next space, and repeat. And that is how the whole game plays. Um, so it's pretty pretty darn simple. The, the rules around placing on the board, you basically have to start at the bottom and it needs to touch a piece you've already played so that the snow progresses as it melts. I already mentioned the marmot holes need to stay uncovered. Also, the, the polyamorals have holes on them. If two holes are adjacent to each other when you place them, whether or not there's a marmot underneath that is irrelevant, but if there's two next to each other or more, you get these little tiny bonus tiles that you could then place on your board for free. Um, rocks. Yeah, rocks. And... If, if you have two together, you place one rock. If you have three holes together, you place two rocks. If you have four holes together, it's three rocks, so on. I think the largest rock is four. Um, and what that lets you do is immediately you cover up some holes. The way you score in this game is when you have a whole horizontal row filled up in your board, you get to score it equal to the current turn number. So if it's turn, you know, so if there's 20 turns left, actually, I guess not the turn number, the turns to go. If there's 20 turns left, and you finish a row, you just score 20 points. Um, it, Unfortunately, it's really easy to keep track of how many turns there are left because it's right on the um, map board. It, exactly. It is on the map board. There's a little number in the corner of each space telling you how much how many turns are left. It's a little confusing in the corner spaces. I find I often have scored it incorrectly. 
because there's three numbers for that space, one for the horizontal, one for the diagonal, and one for the vertical. And sometimes I'll count the like that diagonal when it should have been the vertical or something. So you want to be a little bit careful. But even if you do that, it's only one or two point difference. Um, and I have not been anywhere near close enough to winning for that to matter. Um, so that's how the game works. If you cover up two rows in the same turn, then you could score that those number of points twice. Um, so as you're playing, right, you're filling up more of the board, but your chances for scoring are getting lower. So you really need to score early on to, to have a big impact in this game. The benefit for scoring. Yep. Um, but the polyonomals you get to choose are very limited, right? Because there's only five on the board. And as you go around, that number is going to get lower. So the first, when you go across the top, each row, each column has five pieces. As soon as you go around the side, each row can now have fewer pieces. I guess in theory, if the first time you took, say, all the top ones, when you get around to the side, if there's none left on that top row now, and you're doing the horizontal row, that turn you're not going to get to pull any top any polyominoes onto the board. You're going to just skip it and go to the next turn. So so you can set it up so that there's turns where you don't get to place anything, and that definitely can happen towards a later game. It, you know, it's not likely to happen until you've got five or so turns to go. It's one of the things in this game. It, it sounds like a real simple game, and it is, but this is where the strategy lies, right? You got to figure out how to lay those, which tiles you want to pull to cover up your your board spaces at the right time. Um, you're also worrying that you don't hose yourself in a future turn where you can suddenly not do anything. And you're also trying to figure out how you could place the tiles to A, cover up the marmot holes correctly so as not to penalize yourself, and B, how to place them so the two or more holes are adjacent to give you those little bonus tiles to fill in gaps, which could be, you know, which could be really useful because sometimes you end up deciding you want to leave a gap so you could cover up the marmot hole just dry, planning to later come back and fill it in and score those points. And and so every time I play this game, I just have a great time trying to solve... It really is a puzzle. I'm trying to solve this puzzle, and I spend a lot of time just trying to figure out each turn and trying to look ahead and, and what to do and what not to do. Um, the game... The, the goal of the game, I didn't mention, is to beat your high score, basically. The rule book says you, you're, you're going for 140, which is a good game. 150 is extraordinary. I think I did get 138 ones, and that's been my highest. I have not come close to that again. Um, I've gotten as low as, like, I think in the 70s or 80s. Just terrible, terrible luck. Uh, the score, I already mentioned, as you complete the row, the number of turns left is how many points you get for that row. Plus, any of these little marmot holes that you covered and you have little marmot tokens still on them, you're going to get one point per each of those. So you want to cover up those holes with the holes in the polyominals, you know, line them up, but not have to spend them later to to block another hole somewhere. Because, you know, those those could add up to another, I think, probably five or ten points if, if you play it right. If you don't get the marmots on them. Yep. Yep. Get all, Save all your marmots for yourself. So it's a nice game. And you don't use hiking pins in solo, correct? Correct. None of that stuff is used in solo game. It's just the, the multiplayer game. Honestly, I don't even remember how they work because I've only played the multiplayer game once. I've played a, a good <laughs> dozen games now, and it's mostly solo. Well, it's a good thing we're a solo podcast then. <laughs> there you go. It's a it's a quick game. I, I could finish in half an hour or less, and I have often played two or three games in a row. And then say, okay, I've had enough of this for now. I'll put it away. And it you know come on again soon enough whenever I'm in the mood for something puzzly and relatively light. 
it, it's a great game for that. Good, you know, for late evening game when it's, it's too late to pull out a mage knight or something. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what else do I want to tell you about this game? I think, I think I've said it. Oh, you had mentioned before we started recording how there's also a campaign game in this. I did not mention that one. I have not even played the campaign game yet. But Really? That surprises me. It. When I play this game, I am happy to just play it and see how good of a score I get. And I'm not really ever comparing it to prior games or future games. I happen to look at other scores today just, just for the heck of it. But honestly, I'm not even that interested in the final score. Um, so I tend not to worry about it. You're just enjoying playing. I'm just enjoying the playing of it. So the campaign game hasn't necessarily interested me. In what, but what you do in there is you get all your tiles and create four stacks of even number of tiles. And then you're going to play four games each time with one stack of the polyominal tiles. So so once you're done, you're going to have a chance to use all the tiles. The goal of this mm-hmm. is to get a total over four games of 600 points. That means you need to get about 150 per game. And as I've mentioned, I haven't even come close to 140 yet or I've only once. So there's no way I'm going to ever beat that. I'm far from needing to try that challenge. Do you think it's something that if you get better on, you can do, or do you just need to get lucky? No, I think if you get better, definitely. Um, you know, I, I acknowledge that a lot of the game is figuring out what tiles to use and when to save them and all that. I'm not that good at it. I, I know I'm not. I have definitely made mistakes often enough where, where I wish I'd done something different later on. Well, you know, it's done. Um, How much variability do you think there is between the different games? Because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of mechanics that you can really tweak and play with. It's just like a tile. Right. There, there isn't a ton of variability. I mean, it, it's all just trying to optimize where you're laying the tiles. Each time you play, you got, you know, t- 25% of the tiles that come in the game are going to be used during that game. And they're going to be laid out on the board randomly. So which turn each tile is available is totally different from game to game. So it could it could definitely change a lot, the, the map. Um... It, it does feel repetitive, and you're always doing the same thing, just laying tiles. And so, so if that's going to be a problem, I don't think this game is going to have much replayability for you. I, I enjoy the process of just placing the tiles on the board and, and figuring out how to get them to, to fit. So I, I don't feel it gets boring. Like I said, I could play three games in a row, and I'm fine. And it's the same thing over and over. You know, in, in this kind of game, when you start playing, at fir- the first few turns, it's like you feel like it's open, and you got so many choices, and this is great, and... I'm just going to place a tile here and a tile there, and it's all great. And then after, you know, three or four turns, suddenly you're, like, really thinking about each action and, you know, what's the best tile to use. I think we commented also at the top of the episode talking about how the theme of the game is is very abstract, which I think is kind of on point for many of mm-hmm. Peter Rosenberg's games. But do you feel that in any way detracts from your enjoyment of the game? Not really. I mean, when I when I heard about the game because of the theme, I said, "Oh, this is awesome! I really, I'm really excited about this game." And yeah, the, you could throw away the theme; it doesn't really make much difference. But I still enjoy the game for what it is, so I don't mind it. Um, I don't mind the throwaway theme. Um, I was more excited about Indian Summer's theme and the art, and it's it's more of a fall game and the color schemes are all fall and, and whatnot. And I really like that one, the way it looks. So oddly enough, I haven't played it. Well, much. do you feel this one has a bland theme, uh, a bland color design because it doesn't have the very colors. I mean, this is really just green or white. There's not 
all of the other ones in this trilogy have multiple colors, multiple things going on. Cottage Garden has all of the pots and the flowers and the hedgerows and Indian Summer has the different colors of leaves and rocks and things like that. This one is very much just green or white. You know, it, I did not like the color theme of the tiles and the board itself so much in Indian Summer as much as I like the box art. <laughs> the uh-huh. I, I, I remember finding it a little weird. And, and you know, speaking of memory, it's been a couple of years since I've played that game, honestly, so so bear with me there. But with this one, <laughs> the I, I enjoy the art here. It works it's it's simple. I mean there's not much to it and it doesn't detract from the game. I think if the tiles were all very colorful, that might make it a little more confusing when you're trying to figure out where to squeeze the tile into on that board. I actually think I agree with you because, especially since this is mm-hmm. a board where those holes make a big difference and you want to quickly be able to see yeah. where your holes pass through the marmot and where they pass through the white, having that distinction between white and black is important. And I feel like if the tiles had blues and reds and browns on them for trees and other things, you'd be like, oh, look, there's a marmot. Oh, never mind. That's not a marmot hole. And even though... I mean, there is sort of, you can tell from depth perception, assuming you have depth perception, I say as I look at my wife, um, <laughs> assuming you have depth perception. You oh, can, yeah, I don't either. Oh, really? You don't have depth perception abilities either? Yeah, no, I don't. My eyes don't focus together. That's interesting. Growing up, I was terrible at, at sports in school, and I never knew why. Huh. And you know, finally, I was I was older. I was working at Lens Crafters, and one time they, they were just checking my eyes just for the heck of it because everybody's bored as a slow day at work. And the guy noticed that my eyes don't focus together. I'm either looking at you with my left eye or my right eye. It's not a big difference, but it's there. <laughs> huh, interesting. And finally I understood it. I'm bad at sports because I can't see. Ah. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Well, I know there are other people with a similar problem, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that aside. Well, I understand that you can't tell because of the difference in depth between being able to see through the hole and not. Having it be a plain, simple, clear um, visibility between the two, I think, does help add to just just clearness just being able to play the game easily which is important mm-hmm, absolutely yeah I, I think so in in um indian summer the player boards are smaller and i think it, that sort of thing becomes less an issue and there's icons on the board and, and whatnot that are more obvious the board itself if i remember correctly is just plain black with art on it mm-hmm. with different icons and stuff and there it becomes less of an issue in part because of the the style of the art, I guess, and the way it's done or the design, and in part just because of the smaller size. But yeah, uh, the art the, works for me here. It's, it's simple, and that's just fine in this game. The the one thing that we're talking about that I think that bugs me about the game sometimes is, I like I said, I like it. Um, it's pretty simple. It's really light. I enjoy. It. I pull it out occasionally. I do have a couple more thoughts, though. Um, when I'm playing one, when I'm playing the. You, there's a compass token that you're allowed to set up on the board when you pick up a tile to, to see if it works or not. And then when you're done, you know, you put the tile back wherever you put the compass. That way you can remember where the tile came from. Because you're allowed to pull out a tile and try it. I often forget to use the compass and just pick up a tile to go use it and then say, mm, maybe I don't want it. I'm going to put it back and I'm not sure which space I got it from. And and, <laughs> and that that gets me often enough that it is a little bit frustrating. And so I have to make my best guess where, where I think it might have been. I may or may not be wrong. Since I'm not really worried about the score too much, it's not a huge deal. You know, if I got it back in the wrong spot, oh well. I, I have no idea how it's going to have much of an impact in the game, and probably not. You should 3D print some sort of, like, compass miniature that stands up a bit more so you can pick it up and remember it. Yeah, maybe get, get a real compass. I have a pocket watch that looks sort of compass-like. It doesn't work. 
I may as well be a congressman. <laughs> <laughs> it's always pointing north. Um, so, so maybe I should use that. That's a, that's not a bad idea. The or my uh, one player guild uh, challenge coin. There you which go. I had misplaced, and I just found it today. I was really excited about that. I found it in my box of challenge coins. <laughs> I didn't know it was in there. I'm so dumb about that. So <laughs> the other, the other thing about this game that is definitely worth mentioning is the price. It is a bit high for what it is. I think for for such a late game, I think it's a sixty dollar game. It's, it's basically it's a big box Uwe game, um, like say as big as Agricola for sure. Um, at least the first edition of Agricola. Now online it's definitely cheaper, but but retail is a lot for this. And there was the same issue when Cottage Garden came. I think that was a sixty dollar game retail. Just and he, that one didn't even feel like as substantial as this one. I think. Um. Spring Meadow. Let's see. Yeah, you could get it on Amazon, for example, for $53. So that's a little bit high. But um, you know, I'm sure you could find lower prices, I'm sure. You could get Spring Meadow, Indian Summer, and Cottage Garden for only $135. But yeah, I enjoy it. Um, I think multiplayer game works just as well. It's not a time game the same way the solo game is and that it goes around the board once. You could keep going around the board. There's a different end condition. So the, the game will last longer, potentially. Um, and it's going to be variable based on the number of players, I think. I, I bet you it is. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, and if everybody likes pu- that type of puzzle game, it would be a great game. Me for me, personally, if I can give my opinion as well. I think I, I don't know if this one brings enough to the polyomno um genre of games that i feel i need to have it in my collection in addition to having patchwork and isle of cats and other polyomno type games i think that the interaction between the holes being something different adding to it is unique to the game and i think that if you didn't have a polyomino game that might be something you're looking for but i don't think it brings enough that i feel i need to add in an addition Mm-hmm. That's fair. You've got a different game already. You mentioned Elf Cats. That, that definitely works. Or Patchwork, which I've never played Patchwork. That's a shame. I understand it's a great game. It's a good game, but I've never been able to play it solo because I've never been able to get my hands on a good deck for it. But Oh, okay. One day. So there you go. So so this is our first game in the Summer of Uwe. Where we're going to talk about at least one of the Uwe Rosenberg game. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> we're not going to do very much summering, but sh- sure. <laughs> you know it's got to have a title we had the year of war games a couple years ago but right so why not have a summer of a summer of Uwe okay <laughs> alright I suppose <laughs> I'm with you alright um, I guess that's it for this week then unless you have anything else you want to talk about nothing else for today thank you everyone for listening yep thanks bye all Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.